What is up? Hello, everybody. Welcome into the newest Denver Nuggets daily podcast. This is the third attempt at this podcast, so I'm sorry it has taken so long to get to you guys, but this is going to be the one that hopefully works. Um, We're going to talk about everything from the Nuggets 120 to 103 game six loss to the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio. Um, There was a ton of different storylines to get into, so this is probably going to be a bit of a longer pod, or at least it has been on the couple other attempts that I have tried to record this pod. But before we go there, I first wanted to just kind of outline where you can find all the information as I do before every show where you can just type in milehighsports.com into your browser and click and click that nuggets icon in the top right corner that will direct you to all of the nuggets content we put up whether it's podcasts or written content features post games all of those kinds of things so definitely check that out and also go give some love to the whole staff over there first off Jenna Garcia you can find her on Twitter at Vita Viva Diva uh, Brandon Ewing who was there at bskip17 and Devalier Johnson, who is at Devalier Johnson on Twitter. So definitely check out all of them. They've been doing great work all year and deserve the love on Twitter as well as for clicks on the site. But we are going to dive into all kinds of storylines from this game. Um, Nikola Jokic had arguably, probably, he says, that was probably his best career game he has ever played. And we'll talk about how the Nuggets really wasted a game. This is only the fourth time that any player in playoff history has ever hit the numbers that Nikola Jokic accomplished in Game 6. So for the Nuggets to lose in spite of that is absolutely, it's just staggering. And for them to lose by as many as they did, to lose by 17 despite what Jokic did, it was very unfortunate to see him lose such an incredible game that he put together um so we'll talk about that we'll also talk about how the nuggets benching it failed miserably which is a big reason why Nikola Jokic's ridiculous stat line was wasted there was a lot of things that went into the nuggets benching it playing so badly so we'll dive into that um for the Spurs though Rudy Gay off the bench came alive I mean Rudy Gay has been basically a walking corpse for this entire series up until game six which is where he really kind of thrust himself back into the series as an important x factor for the Spurs um beyond him DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge were great in this game. This was the game where the Nuggets or where the Spurs stars really showed up to play in a big way and it was a huge advantage for the Spurs to have multiple guys impacting and producing in this game not just one like the Nuggets had with Nikola Jokic um, in addition to that the Spurs had a tough a ton of tough shots um, and Denver missed a ton of open shots which really led to the Nuggets kind of letting go of the rope in the fourth quarter and letting this game get way too far away from them um, then I'll finally talk about Jamal Murray and the potential cheap shot that he received from Yaka Pertle and I'll talk about his screening and my thoughts on that and And then, now that we kind of, that would be kind of the summation of the game, we're going to dive into why this series is so important for the Nuggets and why going seven games could actually be a good thing in the long haul for this Nuggets team. Not for this year, but looking down in the next five years. Before diving into a bunch of Twitter questions that came in from listeners all over the interweb. So, it is a stacked, loaded show. But before we go any further, I want to give a quick shout out to the Regulators Production Group. They are the ones who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. I give them love on every podcast because those guys are awesome and have hooked it up for the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. So go find Regulators Regime on Instagram for all of your audio production needs. You can also reach out to Rod Simba on Instagram. That is R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A. He is the one who reached out to me. He's a great point of contact, and he's definitely one of the guys who was able to bring this unison together of great beat making with this podcast. Uh, and then last but not least, gotta pay the bills and give some love to Terrapin Care Station, who is 
who are the presenting sponsor of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. So before we go any further, here is a quick word from Terrapin Care Station. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. None other than Nikola Jokic, who put up just an absolutely masterful performance in this game. Really, the only reason the Nuggets were not able to capitalize on such a ridiculous performance was because they had almost no supplementary help alongside Nikola Jokic, while the Spurs were able to make basically every tough shot that they have ever put up. So... Let's just outline what they were, what Nikola Jokic did first and just read off the stat line. So 38 minutes of play, 43 points, 19 of 30 from the field, hit two of his six threes, had 12 rebounds, six of them were offensive to go with nine assists against just two turnovers with two steals and a block for good measure. When, the, when you look in historical context, that kind of performance 43 or more points 12 or more rebounds or nine or more assists have only happened three other times ever and that comes from oscar robinson magic johnson and charles barkley so the most recent that that game has ever happened in the playoffs was back in 1993 almost 26 years ago depending on how you look at it so what a ridiculous performance from Nikola. And not only that, he was very good defensively. Again, he was battling. And while, yes, there were a lot of tough shots made, he overall was still a very good defender, I thought, in this game. And the more and more I keep looking at what Nikola Jokic is doing, I'm starting to realize that he, and th- th- this is obviously comes with the caveat that the Nuggets have only played the Spurs in the playoffs so far. So different matchups will bring different outcomes to what is going on. But in terms of Nikola Jokic, being a guy who can be a go-to primary scorer for a potential championship contending team, Nikola Jokic shows that he at least has that talent within him. Who knows if it'll actually ever transpire into or culminate into something to where the Nuggets actually have a chance to win a title, or if this will still hold true against a team like the Rockets or the Warriors, but as of right now, the way that the things are shaken out, the Nugget or the Nuggets have a bona fide top five or top ten player in the league who can get their own shot whenever they want and makes everyone better around him. To be to go out there and get forty three points on thirty shots after starting four of twelve from the field, that is absolutely absurd. What a terrific game from Nikola Jokic! But what sucks is in that second half there was just nothing that Nikola could do because it was all him while the rest of his team failed to do anything to help him in his path to trying to get a win. 
I mean, when you look at what he did in that second half, it was insane. He had 27 points on 13 of 16 shooting. The rest of the Nuggets team combined in the second half were 7 of 30 from the field for only 16 points. Nikola Jokic had 27 of their points, while the rest of the team could only muster 16 combined. There just wasn't enough help for Nikola Jokic. That's what happened in that second half. But still, regardless of anything that went wrong around this, let's not overlook the fact that Nikola Jokic had one of the greatest games in playoff history from a statistical standpoint. That is incredible for a guy who was playing in his first playoff game in which he had a chance to eliminate a team from the postseason contention, and not just any team, but the Spurs. So, wow, what a game from Nikola Jokic on the road. Um, But, obviously, it can't all be good because the Nuggets lost by 17. The Denver Nuggets bench, I don't know what it was, they were atrocious in this game. They fell off a cliff from all of the positivity that they were able to have throughout the majority of the regular season. The Nuggets bench unit was their strength. It was one of their, um, it was one of the constants that they had throughout the entire regular season. But in the playoffs, it hasn't been that way, especially in Game 6. So Monte Morris wasn't terrible. I mean, four points, three three assists, no turnovers. Typical Monte game without a whole lot of scoring, only two of six from the field. The big issue for me um, was clearly Mason Plumlee. Mason Plumlee was absolutely destroyed for every second that he was on the floor in this game. And there were a ton of questions that came in from listeners about specifically Mason Plumlee. So I don't want to dive too far into the weed work on Mason yet because I'm going to get into a lot of the conversation surrounding him later on in the show. But with that being said, Mason Plumley is not able to play another minute in this series, if you ask me. I mean, he only played eight minutes in this game, and those eight minutes were damning for Denver. And this is, again, I'll talk about more about Mason in the future, but I also feel like this is not even a Mason problem. This is a specifically, he gets destroyed by the Spurs for some reason. So we'll get into that. But with Mason playing bad, the Nuggets are going to need a lot from Malik Beasley and Will Barton. But unfortunately, they combined to shoot just 2 of 13 from the field and 0 of 5 from 3-point distance. Malik was 1 of 6 from the field, only took 1-3 in this game and missed it. Will Barton, 1 of 7 from the field, um, missed all 4 of his 3-point attempts. In addition to that, neither of them were able to register an assist in this game either, which tells me that this was a very black hole-oriented bench unit offense. And when watching the game, it kind of reflected that. There was a lot of just one or two pass kind of possessions for that bench unit as guys were rushing shots trying to get the Nuggets back into the game. So the bench unit, I mean, when you only score 13 points out of the 103 that the Nuggets put up, that's... That's bad. That is as bad as it gets. That means the starters scored 90 of the points for the Nuggets. And when you compound that with the fact that Rudy Gay finally emerged and became an actual NBA player once again, that was damning for Denver. Rudy Gay single-handedly outscored the Nuggets reserves by six points by himself. Rudy Gay had 19 points on 7 of 11 shooting, hit all three of his threes, even had two assists, no turnovers, and four rebounds in this game. And was really huge because... He was going to be the Spurs X factor in the series because he's big enough to to punish you know smalls down low, but he's quick enough to punish slower footed bigs on the perimeter. But he had been awful on both ends of the floor for the first five games of the season. But his emergence as that sixth man for the Spurs was huge in this game. His twenty eight minutes were absolutely crucial to the. 
um, to the Spurs being able to win this game. And he was a big reason Mason Plumlee was, was, was so bad. He was just eviscerating Mason Plumlee over and over again in this game. So that was definitely an interesting takeaway was that the Nuggets bench really failed them in this one. And where things really fell apart was with about a minute left to go in the third quarter. Nikola Jokic had played 30 minutes up to this point, and Michael Malone tried to pull Nikola Jokic with one minute left in the third to try and get him just a little bit of extra rest before the fourth quarter came around. Unfortunately, by the time that... So when Nikola Jokic left the game with a minute left in the third quarter, the Nuggets were trailing 88-85. to By the time Nikola Jokic came back, a 15-2 to run had transpired, and the Nuggets suddenly were trailing by, by I believe it was 15 points, at that point. So they went from a three-point hole to a 15-point hole, and that was pretty much it. That was the game. The Nuggets could not survive without Nikola Jokic on the floor for more than three minutes, and that was really what killed them, and that comes down to the bench unit, and it comes down to Mason Plumley. So that needs to change if the Nuggets are going to find a way to win Game 7. They need to keep their advantage with their bench unit, and they were not able to do so. With that being said, though, I've talked a lot about how Nikola Jokic did not get a whole lot of help or supplementary help around him, and I think a big reason for that was because Jamal Murray took a cheap uh, moving illegal screen where Jakob Pertl put his knee into Jamal Murray's thigh. And Jamal Murray, who was one of the toughest people that I have ever covered myself, he fell to the ground in a heap. And it was like, uh-oh, something bad just happened. And Jamal does not go down like that very often or very easily for that matter. Thankfully, he popped back up and stayed in the game. But it was clear that whatever kind of shot he took to the thigh from that Jakob Pertl screen, absolutely threw him off of his game and it changed the way that he approached the rest of that game. The Nuggets needed more help and Jamal Murray was unable to carry that along with him. Um, his shooting splits ended up being pretty rough. Shot 7 of 18 from the field, just 1 of 5 from deep. Had 3 turnovers, most of them in the second half. Did have 6 assists and was a solid playmaker, but they needed another player to step up in a scoring role alongside Nikola Jokic and honestly, that screen by Jakob Pertl definitely hurt um, Jamal Murray's chances of emerging as that guy. And Michael Malone, after the game, and I believe it was Harrison Wind of BSN Denver who put this out there, the Nuggets had ha, or have had interactions and conversations with the league throughout the series. <coughs> <coughs> sorry there. Um, sorry about that. Um, about Jakob Pertl's screening and how they felt they were illegal. And apparently, from Michael Malone's words, the league has agreed with the Nuggets on this. It just hasn't translated into the calls being made on the floor. And that was extremely frustrating for the Nuggets. So I would bet anything that they're going to end up sending these clips in as well. They're going to look at this with a fine-tooth comb. It's going to be a very interesting development in Game 7 to see if those, if that officiating potentially changes. But as of right now, those screens are being let go and they are not being called. And I would assume that they are going to continue not being called for the rest of the series for that Game 7 as the Nuggets look to close out the Spurs in Denver. I don't want this podcast to sound like I'm just saying everything went wrong for the Nuggets and they were destined to win this game because, honestly, the Spurs stars stepped up in a gigantic way. And while I do have qualms with how, with how sustainable this kind of a game was for the Spurs, you can't argue what actually transpired on the floor. And the Spurs needed DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge to step up in a huge way if they were going to find a way to win this game, and they did. 51 points combined between the two of them was huge. So... While, yes, the Nuggets did a lot of things uh, badly, I, I, 
I don't even think that's the case. I went back and rewatched this game, and the Spurs hit a ton of contested tough shots. So yes, credit to the Spurs for doing so, but it wasn't like the Nuggets game plan didn't work. They missed a ton of open shots early in the game because it looked like they were too amped up. The Spurs hit an unbelievable amount of tough shots in this game, and it was just this weird, it felt like game one where the Nuggets just couldn't buy a bucket and the Spurs were just hitting everything they put up into the air. So, and that started with LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, who they, I mean, they shot 22 of 34 combined from the field and had 51 points. While that is very nice, the other big takeaway I had from those two was that they were able to get the rest of their teammates involved, which I thought was a very important part of this. DeMar DeRozan finished with seven assists and one turnover. LaMarcus Aldridge, five assists, zero turnovers. When you get 12 assists and only one turnover between your two star players who are usually isolation heavy type players, that's very big and they needed it. It's what allowed Derek White to hit two of his three threes. It's what allowed uh, Rudy Gay to hit three of his threes or to hit all three of his threes. Marco Bellinelli got a couple triples to fall. Now that the Spurs were getting multiple people hurting the Nuggets from the outside, it allowed their offense, the Spurs offense to open up in a way that we had not seen for most of the series. So yes, there was some tough shot making, but they also helped themselves out quite a bit by being able to, to use their advantage and all the attention they were taking in in LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan to create good looks for the rest of their teammates. So yes, there were a lot of anomalies in this game, but DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge stepped up with their backs against the wall at home like veterans do for the Spurs. So that should not be taken away from San Antonio in this regard because they needed that, and they have been able to do this for 22 years for a reason. So that, that to me, is a notable part of this, is that yes, their stars did step up, but they stepped up in a way that made their other teammates better with those 12 assists to just one turnover combined. But like I was saying there were some anomalies in this game some big anomalies in this game and the one that really stuck out for me was the fact that the Spurs hit 20 of 29 mid-range shots that's like 65% from the mid-range that does not happen I'm sorry that is unsustainable and it could happen for one more game but when you but to expect that kind of play to carry you to multiple victories in the playoffs is inherently unsustainable. So I do not think that the math is going to work on the Spurs side. I think if the Nuggets even hit just a league average level of their threes, they're going to end up running away with this game. But with the Nuggets missing shots and the Spurs hitting every tough contested mid-range two, it's going to be hard to be able to win that game. That's not to say the Nuggets didn't do some good things. The Nuggets held the Spurs to just 36 paint, uh, points in the paint. That was very, very good. And they also got the anomaly shooting of Rudy Gay and Derek White combining to go 5 of 6 from 3-point range. That does not happen very often. So there were a lot of things that were just kind of... You can bet on them not happening consistently. Though That was an outlier shooting performance from the Spurs. Like, when you look at their shooting numbers, 57% from the field uh, shooting for the Spurs, 41.7% from three, those numbers are not sustainable for San Antonio, and they do not reflect how Denver played defense in this game, in my opinion. The Nuggets did a lot of good things defensively and contested a ton of shots. Don't get me wrong, they got separated from DeMar DeRozan a couple too many times, and Jamal Murray got lost off ball with Bryn Forbes a couple times, and Rudy Gay really kind of just took it at Paul Millsap and Mason Plumlee. But those kinds of smaller fringe things are going to happen in the playoffs. Overall, the Nuggets played pretty damn good defense and stuck to their game plan, and it did work for them. It's just the Spurs hit an ungodly amount of tough shots, but it did stem from their stars. Again, that's 
credit to them. They needed to be able to get those shots to fall, and they did. And it was because of the fact that they relied on their stars to do so, and their stars played well by using the attention they garnered to create open looks for their teammates as well. That combination made their offense much more lethal than it had been in the prior six or prior five games of the series. So credit to the Spurs. That was a hell of a shooting performance, and they really had to dig deep and hit some really tough shots to keep themselves in this game. So again, big credit to the Spurs for being able to handle that. But with all that being said, I... <sighs> The Nuggets let go of the rope in the fourth. They had an opportunity to steal this game, even though they were shooting uh, badly and things like that. But as that bench unit came in with a minute left to go in the third, and they and they let that three-point deficit balloon to a 15-point deficit, it really felt like every single Nuggets player, other than Nikola Jokic, kind of just let go of the rope. And they just kind of let the loss happen, as opposed to fighting, trying to fight back. Which makes sense on the road in San Antonio down by that much, but at the same time, you can't do that against a team like the Spurs. You got to battle for 48 minutes all the way through these games, and if you don't, the Spurs are going to beat you, and that's exactly what happened. They took advantage of the Nuggets letting out the gas, and they went on a big run. I, w I tweeted this during the third quarter that the first team to string together a few stops and go on a run is going to win this game, and the Spurs did that at the end of the third quarter and started the fourth with Nikola Jokic off the floor. When that happened, that effectively ended the game for the Nuggets, and that was a big deal. The Nuggets really, I, I did not anticipate them letting go of the rope, as Malone says, or just kind of giving in in the way that they did. They let that game get out of their hands so quickly, and that was so surprising to me because the Nuggets have always battled back this year. They've always been resilient and have never allowed these games to get this out of hand unless it was a game like the Rockets randomly in January when everyone's basically dead in the playoffs and not enjoying the game at that point. So I thought it was very surprising that the Nuggets lost control of the game that quickly, and I do think that was notable as well. But there is something I want to talk about, and this is kind of projecting a little bit too far out just because we don't know if the Nuggets are going to win or lose Game 7, but what I want to talk about is the fact that this kind of a playoff series, this type of a battle that the Nuggets have had to get through, regardless of what happened in Game 7, is a gigantic step forward for the organization and the franchise as a whole. The Nuggets have always preached a step-by-step -step mentality in terms of building this team from when they were nothing and in a full-blown rebuild even to where they are now trying to take their team from good to great. So what I'm so what that what I'm talking about is they understand that there's going to be spots where the Nuggets slip up as long as they are moving forward and getting better every day. That's what the Nuggets front office, ownership group, and coaching staff cares about. And this series has been nothing but growth for the Nuggets. In terms of playoff firsts that teams kind of get off their chest, the Nuggets have gotten all of them done basically in the first playoff round they have ever played as a core. So they have already gotten their first playoff game out of the way, their first home playoff win, their first road playoff game, their first road playoff win. They've already had to face a team with the with the possibility of closing that team out in the postseason. In Game 6, they've already had their first blowout game in Game 5 where they blew out the Spurs. They are now going to be going into their first Game 7, which is also their first time having their backs against the wall with the potential elimination game as well so in terms of all of the the trials and tribulations the Nuggets have had to battle through in the series regardless of what happens they are going to come into next year so much more prepared for what is ahead of them it's so tough to know what you're getting into in a playoff atmosphere until you get there and even once you get there you have to also um 
you have to learn what a playoff road environment is like, especially in a place like San Antonio. You have to learn what it's like to try and close a team out on the road. You got to learn what it's like to have your back against the wall in 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 one of those elimination games. And the Nuggets are going to check off every single one of those boxes against the the franchise that has been the most consistent in NBA history, who is being coached by arguably the greatest coach of all time in Greg Popovich. There is no better challenge for this young Nuggets team to have, again, the eighth youngest playoff team ever in NBA history, than to have to battle for seven games with the Spurs. That is what they have had to do, and even if they lose game seven at home, the amount of growth that they have already had from just these six games in the playoff has been huge. It's more growth than you could have ever fit into one season because you teams just don't know what this is like until you get there and now they're going to be hungrier and more prepared and have a better understanding of what expectations and what kind of fight is going to be laid in front of them I do still think Denver wins game seven I thought Denver was going to win game six and I think that they just have such a talent discrepancy over the Spurs that yes they're good I think that they're going to end up winning the series but even if they don't the amount of growth and knowledge and understanding that they have gained from this series with the Spurs it can't be understated it is such an important thing to realize because you just don't get those many opportunities to check off so many new experiences for this young nuggets team in just seven games but here they are getting all they're getting put through the paces and just a battle of a series with the spurs team so very very important distinction to make i think is that regardless of what happens this this season still needs to be looked at as a success because they are learning and growing in ways that they would have never been able to unless they got the spurs and unless the series went to seven games like it is going to All right, that was a long-winded rant, but it is time to get into all of the different questions that came in via Twitter after the game. Um, As always, I open up my usually my Twitter and my Instagram to be able to let fans and listeners be able to send in questions to get answered on, on the show. And naturally, after getting blown out in game six, there were quite a few questions. So I picked eight questions, but there is a little bit of a catch here because I have four of these questions directly relate to Mason Plumley in particular. So I'm going to get into all things Mason Plumley as well as four other questions about just the series as a whole and where these nuggets are at and looking forward to game seven. Um, so before I do that, though, let me give you one more quick word from Terrapin Care Station because they're doing great work in the Denver metro area. All of those guys right now, they are the best in terms of cannabis goods in the Denver metro area. The prices are fantastic. The products are great. You can get concentrates. You can get weed. You can go get edibles. You can get all the pens and cartridges you could ever hope for. They got deals on ounces. It's a great place to be. Definitely go check them out. Let them know that Mile High Sports sent you and give them some love because without Terrapin Care Station, there would not be a Denver Nuggets daily podcast. Let's just dive into the Mason Plumley section of all of these questions because that is where everyone really wanted to hammer first. So I got four questions I want to go through real quick with Mason Plumley. Uh, David East would shout to you because Dave East is one of those underrated hip hop artists in the game right now, and I like your name. But he asked, "Why is Plumley such a negative in this series?" And it's hard for me to quantify this because there's not a whole lot that Mason Plumley is doing wrong per se. 
It's just this matchup has been awful for him even in the regular season. Even when you look at the four matchups Denver had with San Antonio in the regular season, he was a, a gigantic negative. And as I go back and rewatch this game and try and figure out why, I do think that this might be one of those things where when the Spurs go small and Mason Plumlee is on the floor, that leaves Mason and usually Paul Millsap to try and defend Rudy Gay and LaMarcus Aldridge. That means that Mason Plumlee is defending a guy out on the perimeter, which is dragging him away from the paint, which is opening up the painted area, which is where the Spurs want to attack the most. So then when he tries to rotate over from the help side defense to try and actually provide some rim protection it's leaving the dunker spot wide open because there's not enough players to be able to get down and actually help mason himself because there's more shooters on the floor so maybe i'm looking too close into this and maybe it is a matchup thing but mason Plumley is just a gigantic negative and he cannot play anymore in this series that's kind of my takeaway mason Plumley is not able to play in this series and should not play another minute so when i get a question from josh about what can Plumley do differently i don't know if there is anything he can do differently this just might be one of those scenarios in which you just can't really play mason Plumley. he is not going to be able to keep um, any kind of level of production to justify him being on the floor because when he's just getting skinned alive defensively and is a complete net negative if not worse on offense there's just no reason to play him you got to shorten the rotation at that point and find a way to play players who have actually been productive because you're going into game seven and while I am very well aware that I am clearly the the farthest from the smartest person in the room when it comes to basketball. I just don't understand how you can continue to play Mason Plumlee. He has been completely unable to help his Nuggets team in any capacity, and I don't know how they can go into Game 7 with everything on the line and continue to play him. So that's why when we get into Chef M's question, is this just a terrible matchup for him? I'm tempted to just say yes and that he can't play in this series. I mean... This is the only way that I think that there's ever going to be a situation in which Mason Plumlee does fit is if somehow there is a moment where Jakob Pertl and LaMarcus Aldridge are on the floor together and it's not with the starters, which is going to be hard because they start together, which is what makes it so rare that you can find a moment in time to where it makes sense to play Mason Plumlee. You have to play him against big lineups only and it doesn't work unless you do it that way. So... I don't think Mason Plumlee can play another second, so that's a very easy segue into April's question, which was, what options does Denver have off the bench? If I was the coach of the Nuggets for a day, which again, I am not nearly as smart as Michael Malone, who has grew up in a basketball gym as the son of a coach in the NBA and has literally lived his life around basketball, but if it was me... I would be taking Nikola Jokic out and not Paul Millsap. I would have Paul Millsap play the entire first quarter. And what I would do is I would have Nikola Jokic come out about the two or three minute mark at the end of the first quarter, play Paul Millsap as the backup center, play Torrey Craig as your backup power forward, and then play Malik Beasley, Will Barton, and Monte Morris off the bench alongside them. Then bring back Nikola Jokic either at the start of the second quarter or a couple minutes in for Paul Millsap, let him get some run in with a small ball lineup of Torrey Craig at the four or however they wanted to do that. But playing that small ball front court of 
Paul Millsap at the five and Torrey Craig at the four up against LaMarcus Aldridge at the five and Rudy Gay at the four, you can match up with that small. That's not impossible to match up with. So for me, that's what I would be looking to do and just completely eliminate Mason Plumlee from this rotation entirely for now. In this series, he is just not able to contribute. That has been ve- that has been verified in a massive way. They've had 10 games they've played this season now, and Mason Plumlee's been a negative in virtually every single one of them, if I remember correctly. So... I don't think there's any way the Nuggets can continue to play Mason Plumlee. He has he has been damning for them. And he was, I mean, taking Nikola Jokic off the floor at the end of the third quarter and playing Mason Plumlee was one of the biggest reasons the Nuggets lost their grips on this game so quickly in that fourth quarter. So, for me, Mason Plumlee will continue to be a negative in this series, as, Dave, as David East asked. He, there's not really anything he can do differently, as Josh asked. Yes, this is a terrible matchup for him, as Chef M asked. And if it was me, I would would play Paul Millsap and Torrey Craig bigger minutes, closer to 40 minutes a night, to be able to get that small ball front court of Torrey Craig at power forward and Paul Millsap at center for the bench unit to answer April's question. All right, uh, the next question, now that we're off the Mason Plumley thing, is from Blake Kempel, who had a fantastic question, I thought. And it was, is it time to acknowledge the fact that the entire Nuggets roster, other than Nikola Jokic, is an X-factor? And I don't think there's any way around this right now. Who has been a consistent contributor that you can rely on alongside Nikola Jokic in the series? And there's no one you can point to. Paul Millsap has had bad games and good games. Jamal Murray has had awful games and incredible games. Gary Harris has been steady, but not impactful enough to be the second running mate next to Nikola Jokic in this series. You haven't gotten nearly enough from the bench unit. Will Barton clearly has not been that guy because he has been demoted to the bench. So no, there hasn't been anybody that has been a surefire second star next to Nikola Jokic. So when it comes to defining an X factor as a player you don't expect to just explode, but be able to be the guy that if they do play well and swing things for Denver, it basically has everybody not named Nikola Jokic. The name of the game is, can they get somebody to play well next to Nikola Jokic? And if they do, they tend to win games. Think about the fact that every great game Jamal Murray has had in this series, the Nuggets have won, and whenever he has struggled, they have lost. And that is because they have not had enough supplementary help alongside Nikola to be able to to consistently win games. So yes, I do think you're right, Blake. As things are right now, the entire Nuggets roster is X-Factors, and there's no one you can consistently rely on outside of Nikola Jokic, which is making things very difficult for Denver as an offensive team right now. Because that the way the Nuggets offense fell apart in that second half, I mean, I talked about how Nikola Jokic had 27 points and the rest of his team only had, what, 13 or whatever it was. That... That disparity, and when you go back and rewatch that second half, it was basically the Nuggets have completely given up and Nikola Jokic is dragging this corpse of a team to a three-point deficit before getting removed. There were guys, guys were trying, don't get me wrong, this was not an effort thing, but you could tell that there was just nothing working for Denver outside of Nikola, which is why he just kept going to the rack over and over and over and over again, so... The Nuggets cannot have that happen. They need to have more consistent effort, and I think they need to have Gary Harris step up in particular. Jamal Murray has been the guy who has stepped up more consistently than Gary, but Jamal has been beaten to a pulp. This is a UFC fight with one of Nikola Jokic's brothers. I mean, the dude took two shots to the face, got kneed in the thigh so bad he crumpled into a heap. Has already told media that his shoulder is bothering him as well. So, I... I Jamal absolutely could be that guy. I'm just not expecting that from him considering how banged up he is right now. And Gary Harris has been very consistent and very 
um, efficient, but he has done so in such a small amount of shots, and his usage has been so low. So I do think they need to start featuring Gary Harris in the two-man game with Nikola Jokic much more in that game seven, because Gary's been one of the most consistent players, despite the fact that he has not done tons and tons in this game on the offensive end of the floor. He has been the defensive MVP of the series for the Nuggets. There is no arguing that fact, but with that being said, the Nuggets need more of him offensively if they're going to end up winning game seven. Um, Midori on Twitter asked, will the Nuggets send tapes of the Purtle screens? Yes, they will. They have already sent tapes and the league has already said that they agree with the Nuggets' um, thought process when watching the tape saying that Yaka Purtle is setting these illegal screens. It just hasn't changed the officiating, which is driving Paul Millsap and Michael Malone out of their minds right now from my perspective. So I would anticipate that, yes, they do continue to send these uh, tapes in. I just don't expect that it's going to change anything in the series because, frankly, it hasn't changed anything yet. Um, KS Leap asked, how confident should Nuggets fans be knowing that the Nuggets have responded to adversity all year? I have said this all year. I think the Nuggets are, I've said this all series. The Nuggets are just supremely more talented than the Spurs. They're just been more inconsistent than the Spurs. which is, And then they've also been on the wrong end of some weird, you know, outlier games. So I still have a lot of confidence in this Nuggets team because they've always battled back when their backs were against the wall. And in addition to that, they were one of the absolute greatest home teams in the, in the NBA um, during the regular season. So why shouldn't they come out at home in a Game 7 and take care of business? I do believe that the Nuggets are going to respond and respond in a big way because they are just more talented and they have the ability to win gigantic games at home. I do believe in this Nuggets team and I also don't believe that the Spurs are going to hit 20 of their 29 mid-range shots ever again again, specifically on the road in Denver. So for me, I, I, th- I think fans' confidence levels, while not sky high, should be pretty confident, 70% that they're going to win because the Nuggets have answered the call all year. They've been resilient all year, and they've been great at home all year. All of those things are in play for, their, for Game 7 in Denver, and I do believe Denver will win that game. And the last question from C.T. Fazio on Twitter. Who is going to to have to step up other than Jokic to win this series? I talked about this when I talked about the X Factor when it comes to Blake's question, but Gary Harris needs to be featured more prominently. I mean, he went 5 of 8 from the field in this game and was still efficient from the the floor. You know, he ended up finishing with 14 points on 8 shots, was 2 of 3 from 3, and also threw in 2 assists and no turnovers, but they just need more of that. They need more quantity because the quality has been there. They just need more more of Gary Harris to be able to win this series. All right, that is it. Hopefully this podcast somehow saves after fighting with it for about 15 hours. But regardless, here we are. Thank you so much for following along with the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. We are going to continue putting out more and more pods as this season continues to progress. Hopefully the Nuggets can win Game 7 so we can continue talking because this has been such a fun year so far. But regardless of what happens, remember that the Nuggets have taken gigantic steps forward as a team regardless of what happens in Game 7. Also, shout to the Regulators Production Group for putting together the beats for the intro and outro of this podcast. Um, go follow them on Instagram at Regulators Regime. In addition to that, um, shouts to the Terrapin Care Station for being the presenting sponsor of this show. Definitely go give both of them some love. If for all of your audio production needs, the Regulators Production Group has you covered. And for all of your cannabis needs, the Terrapin Care Station in Denver, Colorado has you covered. 
Also, I've been putting this out on Twitter, but I want to give one last update on the show as well. I now have the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast on basically every gigantic uh, podcast platform. It's on Stitcher. It's on CastBox. It's on Player FM. It's on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes. I've gotten it up on all the ones I can think of. So if there's any platforms that we have not gotten it onto, please reach out and let me know. But other than that, go subscribe on whatever application you use to listen to podcasts. The more subscribes, the more reviews, the more five-star ratings, the more sharing of this podcast on Twitter and other social media platforms, the more this show can continue to progress and get bigger and bigger. I have no show without listeners being around to listen. So thank you guys so much for sticking around and being part of the growth of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. It's only going to get bigger and bigger and better and better. So thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. But until next time, I will talk to you guys soon and have a great rest of your day. news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10 or call 800-SPRINT-1 today. 1979 a month after 1980 monthly credit applied to bills with approved credit 18 month lease and new line of service if canceled early remain balance due exclusive tax coverage and offer not available everywhere through the activation fee restrictions apply. Great news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10 or call 800-SPRINT-1 today. 1979 a month after 1980 monthly credit applied link to bills with approved credit 18 month lease and new line of service if canceled early remain balance due exclusive tax coverage and offer not available everywhere through the activation fee restrictions apply.